<clears throat> All right, so our Old Testament reading today. I'm going to be in Scripture a lot. If you're like someone who likes to follow along and test your Bible drill skills, then be ready. But our Old Testament reading comes from Proverbs 2. We'll go there together. I'm reading verses 1 through 9. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of saints of His saints then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. In our New Testament, oh, I didn't see it was up here. I'm so sorry. I apologize for that. Is uh, from James 1. This will be our passage we look at today as well. I'm going to read verses 2 through 5. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let's pray just before we begin. Lord, thank you for these few moments together in your word. May they bless us. May they strengthen us. May they humble us. And may it give us further equipping to serve you faithfully in this world we live in. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, I started to look at James for several reasons. I love the book of James. Uh, I know that uh, our shepherding group, which took a summer break, is planning to uh, do a study on, on the book of James. And it's, I find every time I read it, it's full of all these verses I forget are in James, but that I know I love. I don't know if you have that happen to you. Maybe Romans does that a lot too, where you know this verse and you're always going, I do this, where I go, where is, it? where is that verse? I always forget where eight, Romans 8.28 is. I don't know why. I say it all the time in my head, and then I always go, where is that verse? And then it's like eight, Romans 8.28, and of course. Well, anyway, James is full of verses like that. Uh, the verses we just read. If you're like me, you may not quote them perfectly. You may just have snippets come into your head. Count it all joy. Right? Doesn't that kind of ring through your mind? At times, maybe you're going through something challenging and you just hear that little bit and you know it's from Scripture and it encourages you, hopefully. Count it all joy. Um, it talks here about testing our faith. 
talks about patience. But the part that got me, and I'm going to work backwards because I, I, what I try to do when I preach is um, kind of get you into my world and just uh, unfolding what happened as I studied. And so when I read this verse, these verses, I, uh, I got concentrated this time on, uh, but let patience have its perfect work, okay? And then it says that you may be perfect and complete. That's the title today, perfect and complete. And I believe the Bible is infallible. So that's a starting point. If you don't believe that, we're going to have different discussions. But knowing that I believe it's infallible, I, I got stuck on that this time. That you may be perfect. And I thought, and I knew, I know it, it there's got to be, my, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. I can't be perfect this side of heaven. And so I read that verse. And so I wasn't really totally stuck. I had initial thoughts, but I, I read it anew. And I said, this, the Bible says that you may be perfect. And so I thought, what, I want to know what that word means. And so for a, a little bit of my sermon is just sort of a little, uh, maybe some study techniques. Maybe you can apply. Maybe you've got ones I don't have. But uh, maybe you have a study Bible and you don't utilize it. So I'm just going to just take a minute to share with you what I do when I get stuck on a word. First, I try to, and I could be totally wrong, but I try to, uh, without help, process what it might mean based on my experience from other scriptures that come to my mind, sermons I've heard, discussions I've had. I try to challenge myself, and I encourage you to do the same, to recall what this might mean based on previous experience. Then I dig deeper and deeper. So first I thought, well, it doesn't mean that I can be sinless this side of heaven. I know it doesn't mean that. So, so then I thought, maybe this is one of those times where it's strictly speaking of eternal life. You know, that one day we will be perfect. I thought, maybe that's it. You know, that could solve this problem of knowing that I can't be perfect. But yet God says here that you may be perfect and complete. So does that only mean one day when I am with Jesus in heaven? Then I, then I thought, and we'll look into that a little bit, by the way, but then I thought, uh, maybe it's a vocabulary issue. Have you ever heard people say, um, well, you know, trans, it's a translation, so you know, they almost indicate there could be an error. Well, I actually don't really believe that, okay? A little bit I do. I'll say this. Yes, there are some words that must be so challenging to translate from one language to the next. The one that comes to my mind, and, I, and I'm not a, you know historian or any of these things, but I, I know like they say in Greek, I think it is, there's several words for love, but in English there's one. So there's an example there where uh, maybe you say, well, if I love my, uh, uh, my wife, that's a different really quality of love than I love steak. I do love both, but it's not the same. <laughs> okay, right? If I could only choose one to be with the rest of my life, I would choose my wife. Okay. Those words roll out of our mouths the same, love, but they don't mean the same thing, do they? And, and in our, our culture, we understand that. We know. You know that if I say, oh, I love steak, I don't mean it the same way as I love my wife. So, okay, so we might say there's a translation issue that the English language is limited. All right. There is truth to that, by the way, but one, we have study tools, and two, I believe God is sovereign, and even the translation can be said this word is infallible and perfect. So, so I don't like that excuse too much. I also think God puts ownership on the qualities of God He's given us. We're made in His image, which means we have intellect. We have um, minds, right? So I, I like that there's a little challenge for me to look at that word perfect and go, I've got, I got to figure that out a little bit. Not because God's word isn't perfect, but because I am. 
right? And I think God uh, craves for us to um, have a deeper understanding of things than just a surface. So I look at that word perfect. All right, so study tool. If maybe you know these things, forgive me if you do. But uh, you know that if you have a study Bible, you know, you get verse numbers. Okay, so chapter one is what we're in. You get a big number one usually, or actually in this case, it just starts off, then it goes to the big number two. Then you have numbers for the verses. Verse one, verse two, you'll see them along route. Well, you also have, next to certain words or phrases, little letters, lowercase letters. Uh, maybe they're italicized. I mean, every study Bible is probably different. Or little numbers. And the numbers and the letters mean something. Uh, the little letters, on mine at least, there's a, 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 on the sideline, there's a, um, uh, a secondary verses you can go to that reference that term or that phrase. Like, if we're looking at um, uh, when you fall into various trials. Well, I got a little letter C there. Which, by the way, means there was an A and a B somewhere, too. Right? So, next to, just for the example, when you fall into various trials, I have a little letter C, and I know over on the side, it points me to another verse in the Bible that discusses this topic, so if I want to look, dig into it deeper, I can. Cool, right? I, I love that. It's kind of a cheat. It's a great way to prepare a sermon. Uh, and then there's sometimes little numbers next to the words. And maybe you don't, I don't know if you all have studied Bibles, you should at, at different levels here. And the numbers over on my sideline result in some word that is either synonymous or similar to uh, the word I'm looking at. Right? So it does that here with perfect. Um, specifically, the second perfect. So it says, but let patience have its perfect work. I have no number or letter next to that perfect. But then it says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And I have a number two next to it. So I go over to my sideline and I find that that word perfect could be translated mature. All right. Now, sometimes that second word, I always, actually, I've found that often sometimes where I go, oh, that would have made more sense to me. But that fits better for my understanding. I don't believe they translated it wrong, but mature starts to give me a further, okay, so if I, if I uh, counted all joy when I fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of my faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And for some reason, that expands my understanding of, of that term. All right? So, a little mini Bible study lesson for you all. Um, it really helps. If you don't know how to study your Word, if you're sitting in the morning and you go, I know I want to dig in, I don't go very far. I read like a verse, sometimes a word, and I ponder it, and I study it, and I have fun with it. And, and then some days... I'm not into it. And other days, I can't stop following the verses that it produces for me. So I encourage you. So, working backwards again here, the part I got stuck on first was perfect and complete. So God says, that you may be perfect. That you may be mature. All right? Now, let's go back to the concept for a minute. Does this mean simply one day I will reach that in heaven? Yes, certainly. You cannot deny that the fullness, the fulfillment of perfection is in heaven. We'll be uh, without sin one day. Praise God. No more tears, no more suffering in heaven. But I couldn't escape. I can't just rest there. That didn't sound satisfying enough to me from this verse. This verse has a present language to it. You see, it says, my brethren... Okay, and this is where it starts, and I'm going to stop there for a minute. It's speaking to believers. This verse is to you and I if we believe in Christ. I get frustrated. There are certain verses in the Bible I think we, we even as Christians, 
slip into misusing when speaking to non-believers, certainly, and even how we apply them to believers' lives. The one that gets me all the time is uh, God works all things together for good to those who, um, to those who believe. I know I'm messing that up, but uh, I know I just butchered it. It's from Romans eight twenty-eight, right? <laughs> I told you I always mess up Romans eight. I better go there real quick. I didn't mean to pull it out there. Um, let me quote it correctly. <laughs> Romans 8.28, a favorite, but yet I butcher it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And it goes on with other great um, additions there. But the the point is, we we tend to use that as a comfort to people. Non-believers, people that don't trust Christ, oh, God works all things together. God, God will work this out. God works all things together for good. You know, but that's not a true statement for every situation and for every person. Sometimes people are suffering a consequence of their actions and it's not going to work out for their good, especially, especially, particularly if they don't trust in God. Because this says that He works all things together for good to those who love Him. There is no promise that He works things together for good to those who don't. We get what we deserve if we don't believe. And we don't get what we deserve if we believe. Our Savior takes our place. We all deserve wrath, but those who trust in Christ won't get it. So there is no promise for things working together for good to those who don't believe. Uh, And then even as a believer, I think we have some obligation here. Did you catch it in Proverbs? I don't want to stray too far. I'm going to come back. That's one of the things we misuse, is my point. Okay? But did you catch in Proverbs, when we read it this morning, uh, there was a promise from God, but there was quite a laundry list of expectation first. And I, I think we tend to overlook the... In the same vein of uh, you know, misusing Scripture, we tend to look at the piece we like, that sounds good, that's palatable, but we kind of neglect the rest. Um, and somehow then we get mad at God and hold Him accountable or try to hold Him accountable for something He hasn't given us. Why would you do this, God? You promised if I ask for wisdom, you'll give me wisdom. Well, there's some disclaimers in there. There's some expectation in there. We don't like to do... You know, Jenny Craig can promise you you'll lose weight, but if you only follow half of her instructions and don't do the... Yeah, I ate my peanut butter cups every night, but I drank your shake or whatever, you're not going to get the results if you don't follow the prescription, you know. And I don't know that it works anyway. That's maybe a poor example, but my point, and probably I'd, shakes aren't Jenny Craig, I don't know. My point is, we like to hold God accountable to a promise, but not listen to everything He tells us is attached to that promise. Look at Proverbs again I, uh, that we read this morning in our Old Testament reading. And most of it sets up an expectation. And again, just like, actually, just like James, it starts off speaking lovingly to a believer. My, my son... What an intimate term. I call Scotty a lot of things. I call him Scotty uh, Junior. Before he was born, we call him Junior. Um, he is a junior, but I don't typically call him that. Um, but son. I often lovingly think to call him son. And it, to me, it just kind of elicits a reminder. This is my boy, my son. I'm responsible for him. I'm his dad. Well, God calls you my son or my daughter. If you receive, if, there's an if right off the bat. He's going to promise you something if. 
Do we like that if? If you receive my words and treasure my commands. We bypass that pretty quickly because we rest on the fact that, yes, I'm a believer. I believe, God. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. I walk, you know, we say the same things non-believers say if we're not careful. I, I do. I know I work hard. I try to do the right thing and I try to rest on that a lot. And then I'm still frustrated. Why am I still frustrated? Maybe I don't treasure his commands. I just try to obey them. Does that make sense at all? Does that register at all? It's not enough to rigidly try to earn. We try to earn our salvation by doing the best we can instead of seeking Him and treasuring Him. And that's a confession as well as a conviction, I hope. So, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom, it's like training yourself. If you can't sit during church, train yourself to. If you can't pallet a certain amount of time spending God's Word, spend more time in God's Word at home so that when you're hearing it here, that's nothing. My first day of indoor track, never run track, when the freshman year someone got me into it, and he, the first day he ran, we ran two miles. And I'd never tracked how long or far I'd run or whatever. I mean, I wasn't out of shape, but I'd never purposely run two miles. And I'm like, two miles? I said to him, I love this guy, he was a great track coach, but I just was like, you, the first day? <laughs> like, you know? But you know, we ran 10 miles eventually. But we didn't start there. We worked our way up to it. But once you can run 10 miles, two miles felt like a warm-up. Actually, most of our warm-ups were like a mile. But if you've never run a mile, that sounds like a lot. Well, you've got to train yourself and condition yourself in God's Word. He says, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. There's application. These are all the ifs, guys. If you receive my words and treasure my commands, incline your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, we need to beg God for understanding. Beg Him. Not just rest on, I'm a believer, give me your promises. He wants us to seek Him and beg for those discernment that we need. And lift up your voice for understanding. Prayer to the Lord. If you seek her as silver. So we need that wisdom to be so precious to us that we're seeking it. And search for her as for hidden treasures. That, that indicates like you're not going to give up till you find it. We've done that for much lesser things in our home. You know, they lose something outside. I say that I, in my head. I know it's the kids that usually lose something of mine outside. We've been successful with finding everything they've lost, I think, except for an ice pick out in the backwoods. <laughs> they took my best ice pick. It's been out in the backwoods for a couple of years and we can't find it. But most of the time, even until it's dark, we're looking around the backyard if they go, oh, I left this outside, Daddy, and I go, oh, let's go find it, a tool or something. God says, search for her, the wisdom, as hidden treasures. Then you will understand. Then. There's a then. Do you see what I'm telling you guys? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. And then he goes on to say what that wisdom produces for us. So, I challenge you not to misuse the truth of God's Word, but we should want these promises. So he says here, <clears throat> my brethren, speaking to believers, that's the first um, qualifier, count it all joy. But he does not, there's no period there. Some things are not joyful. 
Getting a consequence for the wrong behavior I have isn't joyful. And it's okay that it's not joyful. I, I, I should feel terrible when I've done something wrong. Now, thank God, different, different sermon for, patience, uh, for uh, forgiveness and grace and mercy. We don't have to wallow forever in the fact that I'm not perfect. Right? But I should feel bad when I knowingly do the wrong thing. So count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay? And then this one got me stuck too, by the way. Um, but let me come back to that. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. So, let's, let's start there. I've done the, I've done the sideline. Maybe it means mature. Maybe it means uh, one day in heaven. I think it does, but not only, because that language is now. So let's look at some scriptures that will clarify this. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16-17 came to my mind without looking it up in a concordance. It, it was there. I had to maybe look up where to find it. But 2 Timothy 3, go there with me if you will, uh, if you're inclined to. 2 Timothy 3.16, you'll know this verse, I imagine. Because I heard that word, that buzzword, complete, perfect and complete, and I was like, I know that term. And it came here. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. And again, man of God, so it's, it's, a, it's indicating a believer, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has a promise for us with some um, expectation of being in His Word that we can be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Anything He wants of you, anything He expects of you, anything that's part of His plan for you, He's going to give you the tools to do. He will not leave you ill-equipped to do His will. Okay, that was in my head when I heard complete. Then I, I started to do the whole, um, okay, concordance thing. Now, I don't know if your study Bible has one. I know they're not complete and thorough like if you buy a thick concordance, but you have a concordance of popular verses for certain words you look up. If you don't know that's, that study skill, back of mine does anyway. You look up a word like um, perfect in the back, and it will, uh, it's really a great tool. If you haven't utilized it, you should. Uh, I'm just going to go there and, and indicate to you. It's not a long, uh, comprehensive list, I, I don't think, but perfect. And there's probably about 20 verses, Old Testament and New. And what they do, and it's really helpful, is they give you, you know, a portion of a sentence where it appears so that if it triggers a memory and I know, okay, that's the one I want, it's there for you, and it gives you a verse to go to. So, for instance, uh, you might look down and you see uh, John 17:23, and they give you, in mine it says, uh, they may be made perf or p, just puts the P for perfect. So, they may be made perfect. And I was like, okay, that one sounds like it's talking about the same thing here, that they may be made perfect. There's some other verse that talks about people, they, being made perfect. I want to go there, so I go there. And we're going to go there. John 17.23. All right. I blame VBS for my horse throat. A lot of talking over the last few days. I loved it. John 17.23 says, 
Actually, I might go to verse 20 and build up to this. Verse 20 says, I do not pray for those alone, these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, okay, this is Jesus speaking, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be, it says it again, be one just as we are one. And then here's the verse. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, there's a verse you've got to read slow and many times because it's a whole bunch of you and them and me and I, and right? But he is making, if you can walk away with a general understanding, a comparison to us in the same way that Christ and God are connected. We, he wants us to be connected in the same way. He wants us to be one in the same way that God and Christ are one. I mean, even if you don't get anything else from that, that's pretty awesome that Christ wants us to have what he has with God. And Christ is perfect. God is perfect. Christ is God. You know, it's one of those hard things to grasp. And he wants us to be that. Now, what I picked up from that is, he said like four times here, as one. I think our perfection doesn't come by ourselves in Christ it has one, the body complete. And that is a one day thing. The final one day, there will be a complete body. A finished work. Right? We get tastes of that here. And we, but we sin. Okay, so I get it. Some days, if you're like me, I'm being honest. I'm a people person, always have been. But then I have those days where I don't want to be around anybody. Including myself, if it makes you feel any better. I can't get away from myself, but I can hide from you. And, and it's not because I don't love you. It's because sometimes the world, my own sin, humanness, gets to me. And I get tired of it. One day that won't be there. But I love all of you. VBS was a really cool thing. I don't know what your favorite part of it was if you were involved. Certainly it's about the kids, but I will say my favorite thing was our church having an opportunity to come together in the way we did. My favorite thing. I loved it. I knew it would happen. I knew that we can't fabricate those sometimes. You can't just on a regular day force all of us to see our qualities that make us a body. But this was a really... And if, and if you couldn't be involved this time, no, no hard feelings. It's okay. It's the way it works. You'll have your next time or you were involved through prayer or giving. I get it. But what I, So don't feel bad if you weren't one of those people there. But a portion of the body came together and we had people... I don't know how many people. Do you know how many adults were involved? 20, maybe-ish. I mean, you had, you know, recreation and crafts and food and skits and uh, uh, teaching, and, and I'm probably leaving out things. And, and you saw people that you, you know, they may have never seen in that role. Or maybe you worked with somebody you hadn't really worked with in a, in a formal way. And, and we saw kids that had volunteered and practiced for the skits, and they came together, and they were awesome. Awesome. They were my highlight, too. One of my highlights of each day. I love the skits. I got sucked into them so much that I started to believe the characters. 
You did a great job. I had a tear when, I don't know if it was Annie that said it, but it was uh, the, the idea of that adoption into Christ. That line, all of a sudden, wham, hit me. And I, I did. I was just like, I was like, I was looking around to make sure I didn't sob at that moment. Because I believed that adoption of the character Allison. If you were at VBS, you got to see some of that. But us coming together with VBS was a small, small taste of the oneness. One VBS. So that's what Christ speaks of there. And then I went to my concordance. I said, I gotta, that was good. I said, i got to look up another verse about perfect. I didn't realize there were so many. And it was going to make it more and more clear. And it definitely is pointing to Christ and pointing to oneness in Christ. So then I go to, I looked it up in the back, Hebrews 12.23. Everyone go to Hebrews. If you're, uh, it's right before James. Hebrews and the book of James. Okay, I do it every time in my head. Every single time. Hebrews 12. Okay, and we're going to start in verse 22. And it says... Um, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling and that speaks better things than that of Abel. Okay, so that, that's cryptic too. If you're, you know, I know, not cryptic, but it may be a lot to dig into. But there's this picture that you can pick up on. So don't underestimate your own intelligence or, or theology. Okay, because I don't feel really bright theologically because that, that baffles me when I first read it. And it probably does to you, to you too. But then I think about what did I pick up on? There is a heavenly language there. Right? Mount Zion is a picture, as a note of heaven, I think. And city of the living God. Well, what other city would that be? Um, heavenly Jerusalem. Innumerable company of angels. Where are angels? Not here. Well, I mean, I think they can interact here, but we think of them heavenly home. So there's a picture there. But there's a here. There's a now and a one day that's all in that language that I hear. And I think what I'm starting to unfold, hopefully I can unfold that for you, is it's happened. In Christ. And the reason there's a dilemma in me on this term is that it is a split. It isn't fulfilled yet in one way, because I'm not experiencing it until I'm in heaven, but it has happened perfectly now. I am as righteous in God's eyes now as I'll ever be, because Christ, I, I'm in Christ. So I don't know how to say this, right? I was going to say, practically speaking, it doesn't feel like it's happened yet, because I'm still living in sin in this earth, but it has happened I can't get more saved or more perfect in the eyes of my God because he sees Christ when he sees me. So both are happening, and that's why that language is a little bit hard because it's, we will experience it, experience it in its fullness one day. And we are working towards it. You know, if you're climbing, I'm not a mountain climber. I, I know Tammy goes around. I know other people that have really conquered mountains. I bet it's a great feeling. It's probably a rush. probably addictive. Now you want to get the next mountain, right? But... Getting to the peak is the victory. But it's not like you start at the bottom and then you're at the peak and that's it. You are, you are in the progress of enduring and persevering. Now, the ultimate perseverance is you've got to the top. But every single step is a step of endurance and perseverance. I, I'm reading a book with um, Scotty 
Uh, I really love them. They're old uh, books about dogs and backwoods, and uh, this one's about a, a red Irish setter. And there's this scene where this guy gets injured out, and it snows all of a sudden, and he's alone with the dog, and he's injured, and he's lacking food, and and um, and it was a freak storm. It was beautiful when it went up, and then all of a sudden he's at that storm, and nobody knows where he is. He didn't tell anybody where he was going. And he, like the first day he woke up, he was trying to journey, and he was so discouraged because he was, his steps were slow. He was slogging through the snow. And he looked back, and he could still see a stone throw away where his camp was, but he had worked so hard to get where he was, and he was discouraged. But then as the book is continuing, he said every step was what he had to focus on. Every step was the victory. You know, and, and this isn't a Christian book per se, but, you know, he, every time he successfully went one step further, that's what he had to focus on. And then the next step. So it is a process of maturity, even though the ultimate perseverance and, uh, endure, and you know, persevering and enduring will be that one day. All right, so, so how about uh, one more on this uh, for now that I looked up in the back. Philippians 3, and I think this is good, guys. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Let's go there. Philippians Three and, and and just as a reference point, you'll know where you are a little bit. I, I say that I don't. I hate it when people do that. If you've been in the Word long enough, you'll know um, the beginning of three. I think is where it talks about uh, the the race. Uh, or no, maybe in twelve does it do that? Let me see. I, I know I look back. I don't remember which verse it is, but anyway, somewhere around this chapter is talking about that race. Um, Maybe it's the beginning of there. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So verse 12 says, Not that I have uh, already attained or am already perfected. See, I found this very helpful. Okay, Paul's saying it right here, right? Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. So he kind of clarified what I thought was true. I haven't done it yet, right? But I press on that I may hold... Lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, see it's emphasized again, brothers, sisters, believers, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. You can't go backwards. I tell my kids all the time, I can't go backwards with you guys and fix those things you're telling me about. We can change what we move forward with. Because they always want to haggle about these, these fights in the past. And I said, I can't fix that. I can't change what has already happened. And you can't either, brothers and sisters. You can't change what you did this morning. I mean, you can try to fix relationships. I'm not saying you have to give up. But I'm saying you can't take it back. We don't have a time machine. I don't think I'd use it anyway. I don't know. I've often thought that philosophical debate of would you change things? Because if you change one thing, you change everything, right? And look who I'm looking at. Look at my body of believers I get to be with. Look at my family. Do I want to change the bad things and risk the direction of God's will? I mean, it's, really, it's a hypothetical anyway. No, I wouldn't change a thing. But I still don't. I have regrets. And I want to, I want to, what I do want to change is behaviors that I don't want to repeat. And so we read... Um, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are... Okay, here's a word we've heard today. Mature. That was a word for 
made perfect. Okay? So, as many as are mature have this mind. If, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. And there's that oneness again. It's not just about Scott Warrick being of the mind of Christ, though there is that. When I'm alone in my study, I want to be like Christ. It's the oneness of having that mind in Christ. All right. So, in James, I get stuck on perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5 will uh, just transition us here. That was the bulk. I promised that. I mean, I have a few more things, but that was the, uh, the heavy hitter. But Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice. There's that language again. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So there's more as I read more scriptures that really indicate to me there is a, a completion one day in heaven. That's where that hope, that rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. There is the glory of God, but that hope of it. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. There's another verse that talks about joy and trials, glory and tribulations. Knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who, uh, who was given to us. And there we have perfection in us. The world is told to look within themselves for truth. That's not right. But within us as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. And we're to not grieve the Holy Spirit. We are not perfect in ourselves, but we have Christ. We have God in us. Now, when I read this, James, and it talks about re, uh, uh, joy in trials, in, in, um, in, in the struggles we go through, in tribulations, in, in these, this language, is it any trial? Is it any tribulation? I think, you know, you could say as a believer, I could learn from dumb mistakes. So there could be a spiritual aspect to even my sin. But I think what we really have to focus on here is if we suffer as a result of something we've done in faith, in the name of Christ, that is worth rejoicing over. Because we're like Jesus at that point. So... You could debate that any trial could result in some reason to be joyful, but I don't really think that's the thrust here. I think it's if you are suffering because of intentional walk with Christ and you're being persecuted for that, which I think we tend to not feel very heavily, although maybe I, I feel like there's more of that in the times we live in. Our world is different than I feel like it was when I was a kid or maybe you were a kid. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old and everyone says that when they get 44. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so, though. I'm baffled by what I have to teach my children in our home so that they're prepared for what they see when we go to Walmart. I'm baffled by that. So, 
So I think these trials are when we are standing firm in the truth of God's word and we get persecuted or experience struggle, we have a big reason to rejoice. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you to that because um, there's a verse, I think, I think this is the one, of, uh, yeah, Acts 5, 40, verse 40. It just really spells it out now. Basically, the apostles are on trial again here. And they are, I don't read all the lead into it, but they're going to be before the Pharisees who are really plotting to kill them. But amongst themselves, they've discussed, and we have that privilege here, that um, they don't know that killing them is the right idea. Because if they really are, it says, let me see, uh, that someone had experienced before when there's people in the, doing the work of God that uh, you cannot overthrow it. So one of the Pharisees said, lest they be found to fight against God. So he said, I don't want to risk fighting against God. I think is how I read that. So they said, we're not going to kill him. But then it says in verse 40 of Acts 5, and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them. So they didn't kill him, but they beat him. And I looked up this beaten them. There's a little, a little uh, italicized uh, letter. It indicates... Uh, actually, in the, in the words below, let me see here. Let me find it. Uh, the apostles received the traditional 40 stripes minus one, and then it gives a scripture reference. So it's trusting that this researcher knows what they're talking about. We're not just saying a slap on the wrist. They got beat. I don't want 40 stripes minus one. 39 doesn't make it much better, does it? They wanted to send a message to these apostles. So they may not have been killing them, but they were not trying to be gentle with them. It says here that they beat them and they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Well, there. <laughs> Take care of that, right? And you're going to get a sense of what joy in trials is about in this verse. It says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were beat rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. There's a direct link to suffering in Christ, in doing Christ-like things. They rejoiced in that beating. And daily, you ready for this? You probably know this, spoiler alert, right? And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They were rejoicing that they could be like Jesus. And they did not stop being like Jesus. Okay, just about there. One, uh, two more verses. Section of verses. First Peter 4. Hebrews and the book of James. First and second Peter. Okay, first Peter. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So it basically tells us, believers, don't believe that because you're a Christian, everything's going to go great on this side of heaven. You know, if you're good enough in your faith that you won't experience hard times. He says, that's foolish. I'm not, tell, I'm not promising you that. He says here, this isn't Jesus, but this, this uh, Peter here says, uh, don't think it's strange when you uh, go through fiery trials as though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice, and there it is again. Rejoice to the extent, see, I think this clears it up too, 
that you partake of Christ's sufferings. There's a distinction being made here that when His glory is revealed, you also you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed. But on your part, He is glorified. And God is so good to us. He really spells this out. Listen. But let none of you suffer as murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. So you, got, you can't escape that one if you're like, well, I don't murder. Well, maybe you've thought evil thoughts about somebody. But anyway, yeah, I'm not a murderer. I have never stolen, whatever. Maybe you think that. But then it adds one that I always find stands out to me. Even a busybody in other people's matters. But the point that I pick up here is that there are types of sufferings that are not the kind we should have joy in. And he says it. You see that? But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. That's not the kind you should have joy in. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. See, there's a clear distinction now made. Folks, this all started because I looked at this verse in James, these verses in James. Perfect and complete. Joy in trials. And I hear here a couple things, and then we'll, we'll end with a verse, section of verses, but uh, we need to be in God's Word. We need to display godly qualities in our lives. We need to be intentional. We need to be one. And if we're doing that, we should have great joy. Expect trials. I've often wondered, if I'm not experiencing enough trials for my faith, am I not being faithful enough? It's a real question. If I'm content that I'm not having any bad times here, no one's giving me a hard time. I wonder if we're not really being, I don't know if this is the right terminology, aggressive enough in our faithfulness. It's a real question. Because God promises me I'll experience trials for my faith. So it's in Christ. It's all about Christ. It always is, guys. Let's read for, for, to end here. 1 Peter 1, 6-9. Just a few pages back. 1 Peter 1, 6-9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There should be nothing of greater importance to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this walk through your word today. These many scriptures that you've given us in your providence, just the right way for us to better understand your promises and our purpose We want to be like you. We want to be perfect and complete. We want to be those people that have joy. Rejoicing always. Again, I say rejoice. And we want it to be a result, Lord, of 
trusting you, knowing that you work all things together for good to those who love you and are the called according to your purpose, knowing that we're those people. So Lord, may we live up to our inheritance. May we live up to our adoption in Christ. May we be children of God, co-heirs with Christ. May there be no doubt from those that we interact with, that's who we are. And if they don't like it, May we have joy that we suffer because of being like you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.